I'm very thankful that I've been able to help some people achieve that goal of reuniting with their birth families. Um, it, I don't even really know how to put it into words. It, it has just been an honor. It, and it doesn't feel like, oh, well, this is a job. It's a blessing to be able to, to participate in it. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and on today's show for National Adoption Awareness Month, I wanted to talk with someone else that can be integral to a person's search and reunion, a social worker. Of course, all adoption experiences and every reunion attempt is different, so you might never encounter a social worker in your search. Some people utilize the voluntary services of search angels like Diana, whom I recently interviewed. Others are reacquainted with representatives of the charitable organizations that handled their adoption when they decided it's time to launch their search. My search was guided by my guest today, my social worker, Lee. She's a native Baltimorean, born and bred, and she spent her whole career in child welfare and adoption services, recently retiring from the adoptions unit with Baltimore City Social Services. Lee shares some of her decades of experiences supporting children and families in Baltimore, the history of the adoption laws in Maryland, and a few stories from searches and reunions she's facilitated over the years, including one in her own home. This is the story of Lee, my social worker, and her passion for her search and reunion work. Lee has a master's degree in clinical social work. When Lee completed graduate school, her plan was to go into clinical social work, focusing on mental health issues in a clinical setting. But her first job out of graduate school led her into child welfare, and she loved it. Eventually, she transferred from foster care to work for the adoptions program in the agency. Their staff was comprised of people who worked with birth parents, the children who needed adoptive placements, and prospective adoptive families. Lee's work in Baltimore focused on permanency planning for children, so she made sure to focus on the needs she uncovered with each child or family's case. We started off talking about what clinical social work is and how she found innovative ways to meet the needs of the children she served. I loved it. I found a way to sort of do non-traditional clinical work with the families and the children that I worked with there. And I hope that I was helpful in making a positive difference in people's lives. That's really amazing. What 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 kinds of things do you think of in terms of non-traditional clinical work? What is it? What's something that you're proud of that you used to do? So um, when when I first went to the Department of Social Services, I was predominantly a foster care worker. And I had a bag of toys that I had put together, which I had used similarly in mental health settings and my internships. And when I was with my children, we did some play therapy. And they were able to bring out some issues that might have been sensitive for them to talk about otherwise. And when I say non-traditional, we weren't in an office setting and it wasn't 
something that I was working with, like under the supervision of a psychiatrist and that kind of clinical type setting. Mm -hmm. But I think the children did find it helpful and it helped give me some good insight into what was going on with them so I could help better implement permanency planning for them because that was our goal. Yeah, I could see how those alternative methods of breaking through to someone is versus just sitting directly across from another person, you know, at a conference table would really be beneficial, especially with children. Right. And I would frequently, when I would go visit them, I would take them sometimes out to McDonald's or Burger King or someplace like that. So we could sit down and they would feel like I was doing something that they wanted to do. And it's an easier setting for them to talk to me. And um, probably builds trust. I think it helped. Exactly. Exactly. In the late 1990s, the Maryland legislature enacted laws for search and reunion services for adult adoptees and birth parents. To provide those services, Lee got certified as a confidential intermediary, continuing her meaningful work to assist families in the community. For Lee, the adoption reunion experiences she tried to facilitate weren't exclusively about the families Lee served. She had a personal connection to the work of intermediaries supporting a reunion in her own home. Do you know what necessitated that law, that change in the law for Maryland back in the late 90s, early 2000s? I think more and more people wanted to be able to have contact with their birth family. In Baltimore, there was the family court judge, Robert Watts, who was very pro-family and sympathetic to adoptees who wanted to be able to contact their birth parents. And my first experience with searching the union services, although I don't very often share this with the people that I'm working with because it's really about their journey and not my journey, but my husband was adopted. And in 1980, we did a search for his birth mom. And we went back to the private agency that he was adopted through. And then they in turn, I guess, petitioned Judge Watts to have his adoption file opened so that they could search for his birth mom. So we never actually contacted her directly. There was already an intermediary in place through the private agency who who then contacted her, and yes, she wanted to have contact, and then it went from there. And the agency sort of stepped out of the picture once we were on our own journey towards the reunion. Wow, I had no idea that you had your own reunion story in your own family. That's really fascinating. Lee says she doesn't usually share her husband's journey, except in special circumstances. Her focus is on the adoptee who's searching and their story. Still, the experience helps her better understand and relate to the emotional roller coaster adoptees are on during long periods of waiting for some kind of news, when things are unfolding the way the adoptee hoped it would, or when the adoptive parents are not very supportive of the adoptee's search. On his journey, Lee's husband gained a greater appreciation for his adoptive parents after finally checking the box on meeting his biological mother. Lee has always encouraged adoptive families to share the adoption experience with their children when they're young so that the experience can be absorbed early. She talks a little bit about late discovery adoptees. I think that a number of adoptees have a fantasy of what it 
might have been like if they had stayed with their birth parents. And sometimes what happens is once they meet their birth parents, they find out that mm, that's really not the way it would have been. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, a lot of times people find out that they were adopted in childhood. And so that is probably your most whimsical fantasy-driven stage of your life. And so naturally, when you imagine what else could be, it would be less grounded in in reality, and it's going to be way more up in the clouds and, and imaginative. I was just going to say, we do always encourage adoptive families to tell the children when they're very young that they were adopted, and it just becomes part of their life story because we have found a lot of times when they find out when they're much older, they're, it's like it rocks their world because what they grew up believing as the truth wasn't the whole truth. Right. And when they find out in later adolescence, or that's already a very difficult time mm-hmm. for the children and, of course, the families, too. It's a hard time for everybody, but to find out then that what you believe to be the truth was not the whole truth about your life can really cause issues. And generally, if adoptive parents present the information about how they built their family and they became parents to the child in a really positive way, the children see it that way also. I was told at a very early age that I was adopted, and my mother, Veronica, always told me that if I wanted to search for my biological mother, she would help me. While she's still alive, for all intents and purposes, I've lost my mother to mental illness. But she did still find it within herself to share my non-identifiable information about my adoption through Baltimore City Social Services. And that information led me to Lee. I don't know much about social work and especially the office that Lee worked in. So I asked her about the adoptions unit work and their goals. Lee describes a whole host of services the city provides, but she underscored that the search and reunion work is what she holds dear. Our responsibilities were to finalize adoptions for children that were in our public child welfare system with Baltimore, whose plan was adoption, as well as to provide the search and reunion services when we had a free moment. and to supervise adoption subsidy services for families that had already adopted and were receiving financial or medical assistance from us, as well as provide some post-adoption services to families who needed some extra help as their children were having some issues regarding their special needs or adoption-related issues. Man, so your unit was end-to-end almost in adoption. It sounds like you were assisting in the completion of adoptions. You were assisting in the sort of ongoing well-being of that adoption in terms of of assistance to the family. And should an adoptee come back to the city of Baltimore, you also in your spare time, which I would imagine there was literally none of, you were also in the business of helping with search and reunion. Well, that's true. Now, For all of the children that were adopted through Baltimore City, the post-adoption services part for the people that might need some guidance and some assistance after the adoption, that's a very small number because we have such a large number of 
um, adoptive children within Baltimore City. And most of them were doing just fine, but we did want to be there as a resource for them to come back to and for us to help find sources within the community to connect them to, to help with their children or their family circumstances. Mm-hmm. The search and reunion services work, though, that my heart is really in that. And because there wasn't enough hours during the day to work on that, that's what I did at home and at night on the weekends when I could put some time together to be able to do that because that service is really, really important. But unfortunately, there just aren't enough hours in the day and I had to take care of mandated things that I needed to take care of first. And it's it's so important to them. I think... A lot of people grapple with searching versus not searching. And then once they decide that they want to do it, they want to do it. And so I I just feel for them that when they come to us that I can't necessarily help them right away and that we did have a waiting list, but I certainly understand how, you know, they've made up their mind or they do it, but then we still can't help them move forward. So yeah, that's right. Frustrating. I could see how search and reunion work would be so meaningful and captivating that Lee would be so dedicated to it. There's a very personal puzzle before you, and you have been trained as the intermediary that can help reunite people who have a very intimate and direct link to one another. Lee's work certainly must have had highs and low points. I wondered what kinds of things inspired her and what elements of her work she found most challenging. She explains the honor of helping reunifications and the challenge of helping adoptees through secondary rejection. I think the things that inspired me was when we were actually able to reunite an adoptee with a birth parent and it went well. And the joy that they experienced and answers that adoptees had questions about that they were able to get from birth parents. That is just very gratifying, and it was just such an honor for me to be able to be part of that journey with them. And once I connected them and I could see that things were going well, of course, I would take a step back. But it was just such a privilege to be able to be part of helping these people reunite and, you know, begin having a relationship that each of them had probably thought about for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Um, The things that, that I still find difficult is when I wasn't able to, number one, either locate the birth parent or I did locate the birth parent and they still were not willing to have contact. And my job then was to help the adoptee work on trying to not take it personally because of course the adoptee is going to take it personally except it's not about them. It's really about the birth parent not being in a place emotionally where they can handle it because Mm. sometimes they haven't told their family about this child that they had that was either placed for adoption or came into the quote-unquote system because of um, a maltreatment issue. So the adoptee, of course, is feeling like, 
like they're being rejected again. Mm-hmm. And what I hope I was able to do, fortunately, I did not have too many circumstances like that, but I did have some. And what I hope I was able to do was help them understand that it wasn't them. One case in particular, the the baby was born as a result of non-consensual sex. And I was able to locate the birth mom. And she did actually talk to me on the phone one time. She did not tell me never to contact her again. But she did say she just could not handle having a relationship at that point. And I'm sure that for her, it brought back memories of a really terrible time in her life. And I do believe that the children she went on to have did not know about that incident. The adoptee asked me to send a letter to her periodically. So I I would wait until the adoptee would contact me, which was approximately about every six months. And the adoptee really had a wonderful life and seemed like such a great person. So I would send a letter to the birth mom every mm-hmm. six months or so without identifying who the adoptee was, but, she, but the birth mom knew who I was talking about and just sort of giving her tiny little updates about the adoptee's life and asking her to please contact me if she was ready to have a relationship with this young woman or at least to discuss it a little bit further. And I never heard from her, but I never got the mail returned either. That's really interesting. Yeah. And so I I worked... The the adoptee, fortunately, mentally and emotionally, was in a good place. And she understood. But she never really gave up on that desire to try to meet the birth mom. And I feel sorry for the birth mom because I, I think in a respect it was a loss for her that she wasn't ready to try to meet this young woman who had, who had turned into a beautiful young woman. Yeah. Yeah. I'll bet that must've been very hard, but, and I can imagine the trauma of a child that you gave birth to out of a situation of non-consensual sex coming back years later. I mean, in many ways, I think the adoptee also has to be prepared for the fact that you, your Reemergence is going to also remind the person that you've contacted of every moment that led up to your birth, right? And and that's a really right. that's a hard thing to wrap your mind around, especially when you don't know. I think a lot of adoptees are fearful that they were, you know, the product of a rape or something along those lines. Um, most of us, I think, don't necessarily fantasize directly in that path but there are there's definitely that question in your mind and I don't know that people know how to prepare themselves for that confirmation and that can be really challenging to also then put yourself in the place of the parent and know that that parent is now going back to those early days and all of the emotions that carried at that time right but I don't know if maybe if she had been willing to see her and see that she had become this wonderful young woman that that might have given her a little bit of peace 
that mm-hmm. even though that was an awful, awful experience, that, that that this you know nice, productive member of society was a result, and it just wasn't all terrible. Lee admits that not every birth parent is in a place of receptivity to an adult adoptee searching for them. Conversely, there are many birth parents who have wanted to reach out to their child but don't want to interrupt their child's life. We talked a little bit about adoptees' motivations to search from the perspectives of women and men's thoughts on searches, and we talked a little bit about my case. On the other hand, though, there are those women that never, ever forgot about those babies, but Mm -hmm. would not necessarily take the step to try to find them because they don't want to disrupt their lives. And if I recall correctly, that was your birth mom's position too. Yeah, that's exactly right. She, she one had a C-section. So not that you could ever forget having, giving birth to a child, but she had a physical marker every time you get out of the shower and you pass in front of the in the press in front of the mirror. There is a reminder of another person that has come into the world. And and she told me, um, you know, in letters and in our conversations that she just knew that once she had set me forth into the world and she had made the decision that every passing day that we were apart was a day that I was bonding with my adopted parents more and more. And she just could never bring herself to interrupt that. And she also made a very conscious decision that our reunification had to be my decision. I had to be in a position of wanting to find her. But you said something very interesting when I first reached out to you. You said men and women go about their desire to search from very different angles. You said women tend to search before men do. And that men tend to search when triggered by the birth of their first child. And that was exactly the position I was in. I had just had my son, Seth. And I remember the whole day being home, looking down on him, and I cried because I was like, oh, my God, I made this kid, and he's my first biological relative. I've never known anybody else that I was blood-related to. But I also took away from your comment the fact that I think we would all agree that Women tend to be more emotional at an earlier age, too, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and therefore, like, they, they think more conscious thoughts about their own existence in the world and how they relate to other people. And therefore, if you've told a young lady that she is, in fact, directly related to someone else, of course, she's going to be more emotional and thoughtful about her own existence and therefore probably decide to search earlier. I think in general also, we have found that more women search than men. I pointed out to Lee that on social media and in Facebook groups, there are far more women than men who are openly talking about adoption issues. And drilling down further, there are even fewer people of color openly expressing themselves about adoption. Lee pointed out that the population of Baltimore City, served by her agency, is predominantly people of color. She talked about some of her experiences serving families in Baltimore. Because of the population in general that Baltimore City Department of Social Services works with, many, at least of the reunions that I've done, most of them have been people of color. Mm -hmm. And I find that they are usually so welcoming 
of adoptees into the family. One of the reunions that I did recently, I wasn't able to locate the birth mom and the person that was reported to be the birth father was deceased, but I was able to locate his brother. And in Maryland, the law is that if the birth parent is deceased, you can look for other relatives. So he, now it may be because he was also an adoptive parent himself. I mean, I think that was maybe coincidental. I'm not sure, but he was just so excited to be able to meet this potential niece mm. of his. <laughs> and even if they, they, they decided that even if they weren't biologically related, that they were family anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's really awesome. Yeah, sometimes family is who you choose, not necessarily who you're related to. It's really kind of cool like that. I was curious about Maryland's policies on adoption and reunion services. I really didn't have any idea what policies truly enabled Lee's work and what policies were barriers that need refinement or rewriting to make her job easier. Lee explained adoptee rights under the laws that took effect in the year 2000. She talks about things like an adoptee's right to obtain their original birth certificate once they turn 21, birth parents who sometimes sign a disclosure veto maintaining their own anonymity, search and reunion services available to adoptees who were born in another state but adopted in Maryland, and the challenges of searching for siblings. Children who were born in Maryland and adopted in Maryland after January 1st of 2000, when they turned 21, they could request a copy of their original birth certificate, the one that had their name on it when they were born, that had their birth parents' information on it. And they could receive it as long as the birth parent had not signed what's called a disclosure veto that would not allow them to get it. So with most of the children born that were adopted through Baltimore City Department of Social Services, those birth parents, basically, they did not sign a disclosure veto. I think it applies more to private adoptions and maybe private agency adoptions Hmm. where the birth parents did want to keep the confidential about who they were. Interesting. So Maryland Um, is an open OBC state. At 21, you can request your your original birth certificate. Is that what I heard? That's correct. Now, if you were adopted in Maryland but born in another state, I think it has to go according to the regulations in that state about getting the birth certificate. Right, right. You can still request search and reunion services, I think, through Maryland because the adoption took place in Maryland. But the issue about the birth certificate is going to be governed by the laws of the state in which the child was born. And I think that can be confusing for some adoptees because I've had guests on the show ask, like, say that very thing. I didn't know which direction to go because I was born here but adopted there. And, uh, yeah, I could see how that would be confusing. It's confusing to us, too. Mm -hmm. Really? (laughs) Wow. Dang. What policies do you wish would be changed? Something that would enable your work to be different? I I do wish that contact between siblings, the, the process could be done a little bit more easily. So the law in Maryland does say that adoptees can search for birth parents or other biological siblings that were also adopted 
and over the age of 21. They cannot search for biological siblings that were not adopted unless the birth parent is deceased. And I think that was done to protect the confidentiality of the birth parent. That goes back to the previous comments that we made, the idea that a person may not have revealed to their current family any element of their past, especially something as sensitive as having given birth to a child that is up for adoption. So if I were a sibling of someone who had been given up for adoption and all of a sudden, you know, a child, another a brother or sister came out of the blue and was like, hey, I think we're related. That would kind of freak me out, I think. I could see how that would be hard. Lee shared that many of the children with adoption and foster care cases that come to the attention of her agency are because the child couldn't go back home due to mental health and substance abuse issues. And in many cases, those children have older siblings who remember the younger ones and would like to have contact with them. But the way the law is written now, Lee and her former colleagues could not facilitate that reunion. But Maryland does have a voluntary mutual consent registry where family members can go to register for reconnection. But that happens at the state level. And of course, that means the younger child has to know they're adopted and be interested in reunification. Online registries and search tools are products of the Internet age, which Lee says have dramatically altered the way her colleagues do their work. I asked how the Internet age and the proliferation of online resources has changed how Lee and her colleagues do their work. It has changed how we provide background information to adoptees. So typically what we like to do is if we can locate the close adoption record is provide the adoptee with non-identifying background information before we start their search. So they have information about why they came into care, non-identifying information about their birth parents, if they were in a number of placements, how those placements went, at what, you know, different dates that they might have been moved. So a long time ago, we used to say the first name of the birth parent or maybe even give the year that the birth parent was born or the hospital that the child was born at. We can't do any of that anymore because there's just too much out there on the Internet that there's a way that that person might be able to be located not going through the confidential intermediary process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The mosaic of information about a person that's out on the Internet can be so comprehensive, uh, totally unintentionally. That it, it, it would be very easy to find where a person's been, where they are now, and reach out right around. Like, I could just reach right around you to the, to the person I'm looking for. We talked about families finding one another on social media, DNA analytics platforms like Ancestry DNA and 23andMe, or other online means. Lee does not discourage adoptees from using all of the resources available to them. I took a moment to remind Lee about elements of my own journey and updated her on finding my biological father completely by accident via DNA testing after my birth mother, Anne, initially named the wrong guy as my birth father. She reminded me how fortunate I've been along my journey and shared some history about why searching for a birth mother, while instinctual for most adoptees, is also more practical based on adoption history. Really, you have had an amazing story. You really have. (laughs) (laughs) I've been really, really thankful, grateful, feel blessed. I mean, it's just been an unbelievable journey. Really unreal. 
this was extremely fortuitous that I was able to find this guy, this other guy via DNA testing. That is, that that really is. And that is one thing that um, I always caution about these that I'm working with. I always recommend look for the birth mom first because we know who the birth mom is. Mm-hmm. The birth especially because DNA testing, you know, wasn't done decades ago. Decades ago, birth fathers, if the birth mom was not married, the birth father didn't have to give the consent for the child to be relinquished for adoption. But they, it was like they didn't have any rights back then. So mm-hmm. it wasn't until sometime, I think, around the late 70s or early 80s that birth fathers did have rights and whoever was working with the family for the adoption had to reach out to birth fathers also. But even then sometimes, women did not necessarily name the person that was actually the birth father. Oh, yeah, I have heard that. Especially, like, even in your circumstance, it wasn't. And I had one case not that long ago, um, but the adoptee was, I think, by then, maybe in her 30s or so, where the birth mom said to me, the man that I said was the father in the record, he wasn't the father, but she was saying that she knew that her own father would accept that person, that gentleman, as the father of her baby in versus the one who really was the father of her baby, which was really interesting. So when I did actually reunite that mother and daughter, the mother did share with both of the gentlemen the truth. Wow. That's crazy, really. As we concluded our conversation, it hit me that Lee's work is emotionally challenging. She and her colleagues see some true human stories with some facts about how children come into their services that are probably very hard to listen to. I asked Lee how she manages her own mental health and well-being when facing the emotional roller coaster of each adoption journey. And we closed with some appreciation for all of the social workers out there who do their best to help each one of us navigate their portion of our own journeys. Let me ask you one sort of final thing it must be really emotional for you to read these situations to meet these children in child welfare uh, you know adults seeking reunion and all of the various ups and downs that coincide with the work that you did how did you cope sort of mentally and emotionally with uh, all of the challenges you know, in your work, in your searches, in everything that you did? How did you even manage that? Well, I don't know. And every morning I would get up and I would say a prayer that God would give me the strength and the wisdom and the compassion and the caring to help somebody that day. And that's what I set out to do. And sometimes it worked really well. And then sometimes it didn't turn out so well for the people that I worked with. But I think I felt that if I could be there with compassion and care for them, that hopefully it would hurt a little bit less. Yeah, I could see how you would have to sort of reset yourself every day and probably every night when you go home, right? (laughs) Well, you do sort of remind yourself that this is somebody else's life. This is their journey. This is something that they have to work through as much as you want to help 
take away their pain or their struggles of what they're going through, there's only so much that you can do. But if you can help be a support person and help them get through to the other side of the pain or even through the joy, if it turned out to be really positive, then then to me it's it's all worthwhile. Mm. I think that's why we're here on Earth, to, to help each other through those journeys. And they're not always positive ones. Sometimes they're real struggles and there's pain. But with love and caring, hopefully it has a, it has a good outcome. At least we know that, that other people do care and there is love out there mm. because we see way too much of the other side also, sadly. Yeah, that's true. Well, I was so thankful for you and all that you did for me. I mean, my story just unfolded in a way that I never could have imagined. But I always tell people whenever I have the chance to give the full story and I talk about how you called me at my office and said, you know, I have your letter. Do you want me to mail it to you or read it to you? I was like, read it to me, but not here. I have to go be... Somewhere where I can be alone and I just, I can, I can still hear, you know, how uh, thoughtful and compassionate you were in your voice as it came over the phone, basically as the surrogate for my, my own birth mother's voice as you read that letter to me. And, uh, and that was really special. And I've always told people, you know, she just had this soft, angelic, really caring voice and it was exactly what I needed in that moment. And so oh, I thank you. Damon, you give me you give me too much credit, but thank you very much. No, and it's, it's true. Just, well, it's true. like I said, it's just a privilege and an honor to be able to be part of people's journeys through this. Yeah, appreciate it. And I appreciate your time today, Lee. This has been really fantastic. I, I've been trying to sort of expand my mind beyond, you know, what's commonly referred to as the adoption triad. There's, you know, the adoptee, the adopted parents, and the birth parents, but... I've I've really tried to think about how many other folks are involved in an adoptee's journey and especially in search and reunion, you were a huge part of that. And so I really appreciate you taking time to explain more of what you do, how you got there and just um, how you've tried to help people through their journey. So thank you so much for being with me today. Well, it has been a real pleasure, and I, I'm i very thankful that I've been able to help some people achieve that goal of reuniting with their birth families. Um, it, I don't even really know how to put it into words. It, it has just been an honor, it, and it doesn't feel like, oh, well, this is a job. It's a blessing to be able to, to participate in it to mm-hmm. me. That's really fantastic. And so many people, I'm sure I speak for many, many other adoptees who thank you for all of your efforts, even for those who, you know, maybe didn't get the outcome they were looking for. I'm sure they're thankful for whatever information you were able to give them. So thank you so much to you and your colleagues in Maryland, in every state and at every level of government for all of the work that you do to try to help us out. It's really super appreciated. Well, thank you, and thank you for doing your podcast. I am sure that it is helping innumerable people, and I've actually shared that information with the folks that are going to be continuing the work that I was doing at my agency so that they can share it with people that are either waiting to do their search or in their process because I think it is so helpful for them to be able to have 
this kind of support and see what other people's experiences have been like. So yeah. you are providing an invaluable service to other people. Well, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure too. And like you've said, it's not work. It's like a project of passion that's been really fulfilling for me. So thank you, Lee, so much. Take care. Well, All thank the best you. to that's you. That's a wonderful way to put it. Thank <laughs> to you too. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. Hey, it's me. You could probably hear my reverence for Lee. She was a special person for me at a time of high curiosity about the facts about my own adoption, about who my birth parents might be, and the possibilities for what my search might bring. But my case is only one of the many that Lee has helped adoptees through over decades of public service in Baltimore. Lee told me she hopes to continue her search and reunion work, and she's looking at her options. Of course, I suggested she might consider becoming a search angel, and I connected her with my prior guest, Diana, to explore the possibilities. It would be a shame to lose someone so passionate about the welfare of adoptees and families, so I hope Lee's retirement leads her down a path that will help her continue her great work for adoptees like me. For people adopted in Maryland and looking to start their search, you can go online to the Department of Human Services website at dhr.maryland.gov and search for the phrase search and reunion. You can also call the coordinator for search and reunion services. His name is Jeffrey O'Donnell and you can find him at 410-767-7171. I'm Damon Davis and I hope you'll find something in Lee's story of her work in adoption search and reunions that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I really? If you would like to share your story of locating and connecting to your biological family, visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can also find the show online at facebook.com slash WAI really, or follow me on Twitter at WAI really. And please, if you like the show, take a moment to rate Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Those ratings do help others. Find the podcast too.